0: do you feel about the accuracy of the new stages power meter, obviously only measuring the left? Front.
1: I would not call as a power meter. Hey podcast listener, you're listening to the Semi Pro Cycling Podcast, the weekly podcast where we discuss all the issues that cyclists talk about. Whether you're out training, commuting, or just riding around, sit down and listen in because we're about to begin. <laughs>
0: I got something to
1: say, man. Yo, welcome to episode 113 of the Semi Pro Cycling Podcast, where we believe that only A semi-pro cyclist rides for love and not money. If you stick around to the end, I'll fill you in on the quote from the top of the show and let you know who is ripping into stages. Hey there, semi-pros. My name is Damien Roos. I'm the founder of Semi-Pro Cycling, home of the semi-pro cyclist. And you can find this episode at semiprocycling.com forward slash I-M-P. And yes, a review to get us underway, but bear with me. It is a long one, better than five stars for any cyclist by Disappointed123098. Absolutely love this podcast for cycling content and Damien's no BS commentary. I'm completely new to road cycling. This is my first year with about 2,000 kilometers this summer and this podcast is for more than just semi-pro cyclists. Anyone with an interest in cycling fitness will enjoy and find useful information here. Damien clearly loves cycling and his enthusiasm makes the episodes more engaging as he talks about everything from power meters to measuring fitness to analyzing the health of your own poo. great episode really I've been listening to all the past episodes and have enjoyed them all can't recommend this podcast and related website with links and notes about the episodes enough for anyone with even a modest interest in cycling fitness and news. Bam! Thank you very much. I really really do appreciate the work that went into that review. It's long and detailed. Perfect. Exactly like the podcast. And if you do like the show, I would love a review on either iTunes or Stitcher because 5 stars makes me Slap my elbow, you do it like this. Thank you very much. And the performance probe this week. Number one, can more than one incremental cycling test be performed within one day? Yes, it is an aptly named study. Changes in performance parameters over four consecutive maximal incremental cycling tests were investigated to determine how many tests can be performed within one single day without negatively affecting performance. So 16 male And female subjects, eight trained, eight untrained, performed four successive maximal incremental cycling tests separated by one and a half hours of passive rest. So the tests they actually performed were four MAP tests. Go back a couple of episodes if you want to learn about MAP tests. But the protocol was after setting up, they would rest for three minutes and then... The protocol officially started at 50 watts where work rate increased every 3 minutes by 50 watts for the trained group and 25 watts for the untrained group until voluntary exhaustion indicated by cadence at less than 40 RPM. Exercise time, power output and heart rate were blinded to the subjects who were encouraged to spend maximal effort in each test I can imagine everybody was yelling at them, but cadence was recorded in the first test and repeated in the following tests. The subjects rated their perceived exertion at maximum on the 6-20 to RPE scale, and the individual energy requirements were covered by standardized meals between trials. So what was the results? First up, the maximal oxygen intake, the VO2max, remained unchanged over the four tests in both groups. The PMAX, their maximum power, did not change in the trained group, but decreased from the third test in the untrained group. The heart rate responses to submaximal exercise were elevated from the third test in the trained group and from the second test in the untrained group. The increase in blood lactate shifted rightward over the four tests in both groups. So, if VO2max is the main parameter of interest, trained and untrained individuals can perform at least four maximal incremental cycling tests per day. However, because other parameters changed after the first and second test, respectively, no more than one test per day should be performed if parameters other than VO2max are the prime focus. I would have to say there's nothing groundbreaking in this study itself, What's interesting, though, if you are trained and you are doing map tests or incremental tests, then there is a possibility that you could do four in one day. It doesn't mean you're going to do it. But it's definitely possible that you can get away with it. If you did listen to the interview with Rick from RST Sport, you would have heard him be a little facetious when he's talking about sending athletes back because they didn't believe they got to their maximum. So it is possible to go and do it. And because at home when you're testing, you're not testing lactate. You're not really looking for heart rate if it's power that you're after to set your zones. So it is good news for semi-pros without access to a lab for their testing and they're just doing it on their own. But definitely, this gives you less excuses when you fail the second time at your map test. Now, probe number two, Nibbly's weight loss battle. This was an article that was in bicycling.com, and it was only this year for the first time at the start of the Tour de France that Nibbly got his weight down because weeks earlier at the Dauphiné, Nibali was still carrying more than a kilogram of extra fat while his team doctor was totally bitching about him, saying that he has a weakness for desserts. But from the beginning of the tour, he demonstrated that he could not only follow any rider in the race, but attack and drop his competition, and we saw the result at the end of three weeks. But at the Dauphiné, Nibali was over 7% body fat, and his doctor was getting on his case about this because he says that each rider is different and there's no perfect muscle-to-fat ratio but there are certain limits. And a Tour de France rider, he says, must be around 6% or under. And the doctor previously of the Saxo Bank, now the Tinko Saxo team, worked closely with Fabian Cancellara. And Fabian Cancellara's body fat is around 7.5% during the Classics. And he didn't have a problem winning there. But the doctor definitely says that if you're going into Grand Tours with that, you have no chance. So you want to be around 5 to 6% at Maximum. So at the end of the second week, Nibali was down to 6.1% body fat, around 1.5 kilograms lighter than he was at the Dauphiné. That is crazy talk because it's in a pretty short amount of time when you're doing a lot of intense training working up to such a big grand tour. And it was also predicted that Nibali would finish the tour at 5.5% body fat. That's really getting down to the bare bones here. And Nibali himself admits that making his ideal tour de France weight Does not come easily for him. It's very hard for me. At every race, my doctor would come up and get me on the scale. And at every race, he would say, come on, Vincenzo, you have to get your weight down. But finally, I made it. So Nibali managed to finally make his goal to a weight, 64 kilograms, during the team's final training camp in San Pellegrino in Italy, where he combined intense motor pace workouts with a strict diet. Where he was actually weighing his pasta every night and he tried to keep it at a dry 90 grams and approximately 400 grams cooked. Nibbly added that the only dessert that was permitted during the camp was dried apricots. And definitely, unfortunately for his competition, Nibbly likes dried apricots. Alrighty, the nuts and bolts today inspiratory muscle training. IMT for short, for Cycling Endurance. Today's episode draws from a presentation given called IMT for Cycling Endurance given by Dr. Peter Brown at this year's World Congress of Cycling Science at the University of Kent that coincided with the start of the tour. I've got a link to the presentation in the show notes so you can check it out in its entirety, but it pulls a lot from that and from other sources around the web. So... What exactly are we talking about when we're talking about IMT? Where is this inspiratory muscle? Well, it's not actually a muscle in itself. It's an area that you use every day, but you just don't think about it. The respiratory system, that's right, it's the breathing muscles. And we're talking about training the breathing muscles. And just quickly, we're not talking about the lungs. IMT training has nothing to do with the lungs. They do not get stronger with exercise. In fact, the only time your lungs will grow is when you are a fetus or a child. So we can wipe that off the table and get stuck straight into this. So this type of training has been around for a while and I'm a bit vague about when it did start because it's hard to know when institutions started using it. It's even hard to know today who is actually using it. I can say that some elite athletes in cycling do specific training for their breathing muscles though. So the effectiveness of this type of training is also questioned like every other type of training that isn't traditional cycling training. Today, we're going to look at the current understanding of specific respiratory muscle training, how to do it, and how it could improve your performance, and who might benefit from doing it. So, why the hell do you want to train your respiratory muscles? During exercise, the body's demand for oxygen increases, and our breathing volume must also rise. And this requires a lot of muscles surrounding the lungs to contract in a highly coordinated manner. So, as the intensity of exercise increases, these respiratory muscles must contract more forcefully and rapidly to keep pace with the body's large increase in metabolism. And if your body is using muscles from breathing inefficiently, it's sending extra blood around the body to be used by the muscles. And this leads to a reduction in blood, which is a reduction in the amount of oxygen available to all muscles in your body, which can fatigue all of your body's muscles. So this important role of the respiratory muscles has generated great interest in the link between respiratory muscle fitness and whole body exercise capacity. And I can kind of pinpoint the start of this movement. And it really started to gain momentum after a guy called Jerome Dempsey from the Wisconsin University had a breakthrough discovery when he found that breathing muscles fatigue just like any other muscles. It is also the case where the diaphragm force drops significantly after exercise and stays dropped for up to an hour after exercise and can even stay down for a couple of days. Before we go any further, there's a video in this presentation of how they actually get the result and I've got to tell you it's funky as anything and a little bit nasty as well. They have to first put some anesthetic in a dude's nose or a chick whoever is volunteering for this and then they have to put a balloon on the end of a string that goes down the back of the throat and eventually the subject will be drinking water to try and get it down so it actually goes right down into the right area down around the lungs somewhere. And they can actually find the exact spot by probing electronically around the area to make sure it's in the right spot. It is gnarly and I would not volunteer to be a subject in any of these studies. And so while we're on the topic of studies, what about the research? Well, the research kind of started in the 1960s when there was a French physician that was using tools like respirators and documenting it. So basically just playing around with the technology, not really knowing what it could be used for or used to optimize. It wasn't until the 1990s in the USA that a landmark study done by using one rep max of breathing as hard as you can for one minute with your hand over your mouth actually started to produce results where the measure got better over time. So they started seeing that you could train this area of your system. And then you move forward into the 2000s and there was a huge global boom in research. There were a lot of problems with the research that was coming out though – that quickly kind of got rid of a lot of methods, training methods and exercise methods that really showed themselves to be quite useless in this area. And for example, when we're talking about training modes, talking expiratory muscle training, which is a strength-based intervention and type of training and it trains the ability to breathe out and the muscles linked with that. It was discovered that developing expiratory muscles actually inhibits breathing and performance which isn't the desired effect. So I guess the research was good in that respect. It just told us to forget about it if we're trying to train the respiratory muscle system. But then there was respiratory muscle training which is an endurance technique of hyperventilating into a bag for say half an hour and it is as hard as it sounds It's that hard, in fact, that it can actually stimulate an asthmatic response. So, again, you're not going to be recommending this for your own writing or if you're a coach recommending it to someone to do, if it's going to actually stimulate an asthmatic response. It's not the desired effect that you would be after. So, after all of this, they came up with inspiratory muscle training, which are breathing exercises that focus on breathing in and controlling the air that goes in to help you build the muscles. And I've got to say, there are actually a metric shit-ton of options out there, and in no particular order, there is the Ultra Breathe, the Power Lung, the O2 Trainer, the Power Breathe, the Alveo, the Expander Lung, the Breathe Slim, The training mask. There is a whole bunch of products that are holding on to some of the research we're about to talk about. But there is another way to do it through flow resistance like breathing through a straw. And this has definitely been recommended to me by Justin Hayes, the mobility expert that has been on the show before. Definitely, it is a good way to start controlling that whole respiratory area. But the crazy thing is here that I can only find one study that gave a positive effect using a variation of one of these devices and a set training protocol. The studies did get better and better over time and despite some negative findings, a number of recent well-controlled studies have found that both the strength and endurance of the respiratory muscles may limit the whole body exercise performance of well-trained athletes. So the two studies that in total help sell inspiratory muscle training devices. The first one, Roma et al. 2002 where there was a 3.5 improvement in performance of 20 and 40 kilometre time trials with 6 weeks of IMT. The second one, Johnson et al. in 2007 where there was a 2.7 improvement in performance in a 25 kilometre time trial. So that's it. Yes, I will admit that they were very good studies. There was real effects because the theory and the actual study itself was very well done. There were other changes in these studies as well, such as the maximum inspiratory pressure, which is the pressure-generating capacity of your muscles. This increased. There were reductions in heart rate, reductions in blood lactate, reductions in RPE, and reductions in respiratory muscle fatigue. But, and this is a massive but, one of the major downfalls of respiratory muscle training research to date is the lack of concrete evidence explaining how this form of training actually helps enhance physical capacity. What is clear is that respiratory muscles training does not result in improvements in the standard laboratory markers of endurance performance such as VO2 max or lactate threshold this is really really important so it leaves researchers to speculate on potential mechanisms of action the current understanding of this area and the research suggests that some specific cycling activities may benefit from specific respiratory muscles training these are the situations where specific respiratory muscle training may improve athletic performance exercise to or near exhaustion, which is a time trial, or long-duration exercise greater than two hours, which is pretty much any cycling event that just goes for longer than two hours. But if you want to train this, specificity of this type of training is now emerging, and it's called Functional IMT. It's introduced by a field expert in IMT, Professor Allison McConnell. She actually wrote a book called Breathe Stronger, Perform Better – but has also studied the field extensively. I'll put a link in the show notes with a great lecture given by Professor Alison McConnell, which discusses the research behind, and she starts to go into the mechanisms for inspiratory muscle training. It's called Inspiratory Muscle Training, History and Punitive Mechanisms. So examples of functional IMT, off the bike stuff, an ab crunch where you're actually standing and bending over like you're in a time trial position while you have the device in your mouth. And this exercise restricts movement of the abdominal wall and simulates the mechanical impedance during cycling in aero bars it's not only training the respiratory area, it's actually putting you in the position where you're going to be at your maximum and similar to how you would do maximal efforts on a time trial bike so you get used to it or on the drops or in a position where you will be riding when you are aggressive, it's following that exact same thing, it just shoves something in your mouth to restrict the input of air. When it comes to this training, the recommendations are to periodize the training. So starting with base training, which is recommended at 2 times 30 seconds, so in the morning and the night, 30 seconds breathe training per day, 6 days per week for 4 to 6 weeks. Once you've done this base training, then you move into sports-specific IMT. So that's when you start one of these other exercises, so 4 to 6 core exercises, where in each position you do 10 to 12 breaths with an IMT device and 2 to 3 sets per exercise for 4 to 6 weeks. I would say, without buying one of these exercises, if you're going to try it, just use a straw. Maybe you're going to have to use a bigger straw, but any other straw would probably do. And somehow run the pseudoscience experiment of one on yourself to see if it's actually doing something. You can measure this. There are devices that can measure the strength, but you may not even need to go that far. If you're just going to try these out, it's not a heavy investment in your time. So, the conclusions and after going through all of this, my conclusions are actually pretty simple. Regardless of the proposed benefits of specific respiratory muscles training, it is generally understood that the influence of such training on performance is likely to be small. Like I said, low single digits small. So firstly, don't start it unless you've got the basics down and you're looking for that last edge it may not be wise to undertake specific respiratory muscle training at the expense of traditional methods of physical training. So if you're trying to add in one of these devices or even a straw while you're doing on-the-bike stuff, then that may be to the detriment of your training because the basic adaptions might not even be able to take place, let alone the advanced adaptions that we're looking for here. But saying that, If your fitness levels are well-developed and you're looking to train for time trials or greater-than-two-hour endurance events, specific respiratory muscles training may provide you with an extra performance edge. Alrighty, the tech hacks and products section. And this week, it's a product that's not strictly available, but it does exist. The mystery product is called Muscle Sound. And Muscle Sound... I'm just going to read this from their website. Utilizes a patent methodology and software technology that allows for non-invasive measurement of glycogen content. Using standard ultrasound techniques and hardware, sound delivers immediate, muscle-specific and accurate data reflective of current glycogen content at the muscular level. Bam! That, for me, is super exciting that you can actually measure how much glycogen is in your muscles without pricking something in or taking a measure, it's simply just running an ultrasound over the top of your leg and figuring out what the level is they've taken this a little bit further where they're now trying to optimize it so they can make recommendations for nutrition, they can make recommendations for recovery based on your exact profile of what it takes to get into your system. So, the data that they're taking allows proactive, personalized, and informed recommendations to optimize your performance and to optimize your nutritional intake. So there is three steps to the process. The first one is just checking your energy through the technology. The second one is charging your muscles where you want to establish your current glycogen levels through the ultrasound and then you have a personalized recommendation to fill it up where apparently you can get restored within an hour of having carbohydrates Then the third one is charger performance so once you have that intake you wait then you check again if you're ready to go and then you're out the door so when we are talking about optimal glycogen content, we're not talking about just throwing in a whole bunch of carbohydrates into the system and then overloading it. We're really talking about finding the right amount for your body and the way that it works. That's super exciting to me because any carbohydrate that isn't used oxygen has the potential to turn into fat. So if you can actually monitor your carbohydrate intake, what it's doing, how much you're using during exercise, then you can figure out a strategy for how to really optimize your nutrition so you're not consuming more than you need. So maybe you don't need those crazy bowls of pasta leading up to a race. What's interesting and I didn't realize is that that one of the founders is actually Dr. Indigo San Milan. And this guy, he's an endurance specialist. He's worked with a whole bunch of pro teams. He has research done in the area of tapering, he knows his stuff, and he's connected to the cycling world. So that's exciting to me. Unfortunately, I don't think you can buy this unit just yet for your own personal use. It is being used by U.S. pro football and basketball teams, where I do say it's a great market to go into. There's a lot of money in that area. So I don't know when it's going to reach the average athlete and what that is going to look like for you and me to pick up one of these units. But even if there was a rental or you had a dietitian that could use this service to help you figure out exactly what you need at certain times during your training or you're preparing for events or whatever it is and you can put together a strategy, I think it's really, really useful for that. I will link to it in the show notes. I'll keep an eye on it to see when it does become available. And hopefully it's within our reach and I will let you know as soon as that happens. And now the quote from the top of the show, it's Ulrich Schoberer. I haven't got that right. The founder of SRM, ripping on stages. I don't know if he knew he was being recorded. But this was, again, at the cycling symposium where he was up the front talking about power meters. He had a lot of gems in what he was saying, just like this one. Then the radial
0: forces, why haven't you looked into that? The torque, you mean the torque? No, the actual forces on the crank. And no, the we pedal. had a pedal that measured the tangential and the radial forces, but this is only for the ergometer, not for outside. For outside I came, I said power is fine because on the bike you have, you cannot need too much feedback because you have to focus on the road. And it's, I think, for training, power, hardware, speed,
1: time. Ulrich has been around a long time and his philosophy on why only power is useful for training is really interesting. Um, so the SRM has focused on power only, some others have focused on radial and tangential force. Why is that? Why Why haven't you looked into the, the but What
0: was
1: forces? the other way you asked? So SRM only focuses on power, but what about the, the tangential and the radial forces? Why haven't you looked into that? The torque, you mean the torque? No, the actual forces on the
0: crank. And no, the we pedal. had a pedal that measured the tangential and the radial forces but this is only for the ergometer, not for outside. Um. For outside I came, I said power is fine because on the bike you, ha- you cannot need too much feedback because you have to focus on the road. And it's I think for training power, heart rate, speed, time, cadence is enough. But for the ergometer in the laboratory, it's nice to have all other values like oxygen uptake, then um, all, all the forces on the pedals, left and right side, separated and all this, but I think on the bike outside for the daily training, power is enough, and this is my, my philosophy, what I think is, it's even difficult enough to make a proper training only with this power, hard rate, and...
1: And that's it. You have been listening to the Semi Pro Performance Podcast. Remember to head over to semiprocycling.com forward slash IMT to find any links used in this week's episode. From there, you can click on any coaching link on the site or visit semiprocycling.com forward slash coaching for more information on our coaching packages. But till next week, get on your bike and enjoy the Pain Cave or the Hurt Box, whichever one you're into. How
0: do you feel about the accuracy of the new stages power meter, obviously only measuring the left crank. I would not call this a power meter because... It a definition what is power, and power is the, short, the average torque per revolution, multiplied with the angular velocity, okay. and if you measure only the half torque, you don't know what is the other leg is doing. If you have a cyclist only with one leg, what comes out? It's the same like when I measure your weight and you step with one leg on a scale and I multiplicate this by two. Then I say this is your weight. You can make up every number you want. So <laughs> not very accurate, I would say. <laughs>